Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com, The Big Change Program, and WellStartHealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a successful and sexy life. Today's guest, Amy Baglin, is both a type A entrepreneur and a committed mindful meditator. She's the founder of Meet Mindful, an app and a movement that connects spiritually engaged people for both dating and friendship. Amy drives hard for achievement, and she also consciously aims for that being okay in the moment vibe that doesn't depend on external success. Originally, I wanted to talk to Amy about dating and romance and sex. These are topics, you know, highly correlated with health and happiness and topics that I've managed to avoid pretty much completely over five years of this podcast. When I was preparing the show notes and I had to choose the categories, I went to look for the category for sexuality and there was none. I had to add it manually to the list, which tells you after five years of this podcast, I've been shying away from sex um, pretty completely. That ends today. So we began our conversation at a common place, the challenges of chasing achievement and still engaging in self-care. Because now that I've co-founded a startup, Well Start Health, I'm finding the need to raise my game in order to get my self-care time. Now the runs have to be scheduled, stretching and strength work and breath practices have to be squeezed in. The long and lazy cooking sessions that I used to do are feeling like an indulgence. And when I meditate, I just get this coked up hamster brain going, why haven't you already done this? Why haven't you already done that? So Amy shared some of her best insights and mindsets with me and you. And now the work is to apply those insights in our daily lives. Rather than experiencing tension between mindfulness and results-driven activity, Amy invites us to weave mindfulness into our work and to see our work as an outgrowth of our spirituality. And then we got to the sex conversation. Before we go there, a couple of quick items of business. First, WellStart Health is going to be starting another cohort, another bobsled run of our signature Big Change program. That'll start end of July or beginning of August. Go to WellStartHealth.com if you want to find out more or WellStartHealth.com slash apply if you're ready to turn your health destiny around. Second, I'd like to thank the folks who stepped up on Patreon to support the show. We've got some new contributors as well as some contributors who stepped up and increased their monthly pledges. So thank you one and all. And if you're listening to this and you haven't yet done so and you'd like to support the show financially, you can go to patreon.com. Just search for Plant Yourself and it should all become obvious from there. All right, enough of that. Let's get this show on the road talking about success, spirituality, and sex. Without further ado, Amy Baglin, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you, Howard. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so let's start by introducing yourself to, uh, to the listeners. Who, who, who are you? Uh, where, where do you come from? And uh, what, what are you up to? <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm from... I'm a Midwest girl who went to the East Coast and decided to do the startup thing and uh, never looked back, essentially. I uh, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri and spent some time in Miami, Florida, and then up in New York and got in on the ground floor of a startup in New York. Um, at the same time, in my mid-20s, got deep into my own personal path of um, personal growth, development, mindfulness, meditation, and it was such it made such an impact on me that I decided that I wanted to commit my career and my, you know, my my life purpose to 
this work on a much grander scale than only my individual pursuits. And so, um, I took off and, and traveled the world for a while, landed in Denver, Colorado six years ago, and ultimately started a business called Meet Mindful, which is a dating and social app for people into personal growth and mindfulness and wellness. So the first thing I'm hearing is that you jumped into the startup life um, pretty, pretty young. I guess it sounds like in your mid-20s. And you quickly got into what could seem to be just the absolute opposite, like sitting around in lotus position with incense. Like, did, <laughs> did you feel like you were um, like a you know, ball of energy go getter, you know, as you as you arrived in New York? Yeah, that's a funny way of looking at it, the, the kind of two different ends of the spectrum. Um, and I think that's why I was drawn to these practices in the first place. Uh, I actually started getting into startups my freshman year of college down in, in Miami, and I would intern at the up-and-coming magazines and alternative publications, and uh, and that was my first foray into launching something from nothing and I would join a team that had two or three people and they didn't have a lot of money and I was an unpaid intern, but I was hungry and I was able to make things happen even as somebody that young lacking so much experience. And so I got hooked on the concept of creating something from nothing very early on. And then, yeah, just as you said, went up to New York and had all that energy and was ready to just pour it into something and ended up as the first employee at a mobile marketing startup that did, that did text messaging for businesses and organizations. And this is like the mid 2000s. So iPhones weren't, they were just getting off the ground and apps didn't exist yet and certainly not push notifications. And so, uh, SMS was where it's at at the time. Uh, and so I built that alongside my CEO for five years. Um, and it was through that process that I was just really excited about how, um, not only, you know, spending a few months or six months at an organization, but being there for about five years. And we ultimately became the industry leader in our space. And so it, it was awesome to see that happen. Um, and to your point, I had all that very type A energy, you know, go-getterness, and I still do. Uh, and what ended up happening is when I found, uh, I started down my, my spiritual path starting with yoga and quickly began a meditation practice as well. And wouldn't you know, I took all that type A energy and put it right into spirituality. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm sure I imagine many of your listeners and potentially you can uh, relate to this. And so what's been one of my practices as of late is recognizing when I'm being extremely type A or um, goal-oriented about my practices and uh, really trying to temper that down and relax into the process um, because that takes away from the original, in, uh, the, the core intention of the work. Right, and I'm finding it fascinating, maybe a little bit ironic, that your, your startup was producing the thing that probably is the biggest enemy of mindfulness, Right. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's so funny because this is a topic I talk about a lot these days. But back in 2006 to 10, t like, I don't think our phones had gotten into our brainstem like they have these days. Um, it took years of practice for that to really happen, right, to us as a, you know, as, as a culture. And I think back then, um, it just didn't occur the same way for us. Uh, you're right, though, on the grand scheme of things. Yeah, we did contribute to that. Now, we were working with um, churches and schools on emergency alert systems and, uh, you know, other sorts of alerts for organizations. And we were also working with nightclubs and promoters and restaurants who wanted to send out deals and offers. So, you know, I, I'm sure we had some hand in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, but it's these you know, I'm, I'm hearing already these really interesting dynamic tensions. And like, I'm wondering, like the, 
you know, it's like you talked about trying to not be so type A as you move towards, towards you know, your spiritual life. And I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the question is here, but basically I'm, I'm kind of noodling around the idea that maybe those of us who are type A all the more need the the spiritual underpinning that you can you that they don't necessarily have to be in conflict do you know do you know what i'm kind of trying to get at yeah 100% oh good cuz i have no idea so <laughs> tell, yeah. tell me what so, i was asking and what the answer is so the way i interpret that um is it's actually something that has been a big focus of mine um very recently i'm reading a book called deep work by an author named Cal Newport. And deep work is, the premise is essentially how can we as knowledge workers, they call, um, he calls us knowledge workers, people who are paid for the knowledge that they have and how they apply it to things, opposed to, you know, um, a musician or a craftsman or somebody who's making things or creating things. Um, You see the difference there? And he talks about how knowledge workers these days are stuck in a cycle of doing quote-unquote shallow work, Um, not because we don't care or that we desire to do something deeper, but because we are in such a distracted world that it's actually trained our brains to be addicted to distractions and not – we've untrained ourselves – from the ability to focus on things for a long period of time. And so what this re- when you were saying what you were saying, it reminded me of this because um, one of the reasons I think, and I think the type A people suffer from this the most, um, one of the reasons we can't sit still and just be, you know, why, when's the last time you just sat on your couch and had a cup of tea and did nothing else? You know, one of the reasons that that's so difficult for many of us is because we become so addicted to the distractions. And so what's really, um, alive for me right now is consciously practicing the opposite so I can undo the patterns and the addictions, if you will, to, being in a consistently distracted state. Um, and when I say, when I say distracted, I mean distracted usually by technology or doing lots of things at once. And so, um, going back to what you were saying about the type a, you know, personalities and approach and spirituality, I think spirituality is absolutely a piece of that. And I think, um, the biggest part is just learning to be present with nothing else happening and being okay with it. Mm -hmm. Which, which also brings up the question, like, what, what's the goal of sort of mindfulness and spirituality within a striving life? Like, is it another tool so that we can, you know, win better? Or are there, are there ways and places in which we can, you know, step into spirituality and then it kind of undercuts or uh, reconfigures our motivation so that we then approach our work, you know, in a, in a different way? It's a great question. I think it's both. You know, we're we're all humans trying to work in a, you know, a bustling economy and and you know, making ends meet and and you know, we have the need to work and accomplish. Uh and I do believe that mindfulness practices are a fantastic tool to help us be more productive, to help us be healthier, to lower our cortisol levels, and to increase our overall well-being uh, as human beings. So, you know, you can look at it as a tool or you can looking at look at it as optimizing, you know, your mind, body, spirit. Um, that's going to have effects across the board. It's going to impact work. It's also going to impact your satisfaction with your personal life. It'll impact your uh, close relationships. It'll impact the way you relate to people who you barely know. And um, so I think that, it, you know, I think it's everything that you said. I don't think it's one or the other. And, and also, you know, I, to be unattached to the outcome or to be okay with the process, um, it teaches that as well. And 
you know, God knows that those entrepreneurs out there, uh, which I know you, you and I are squarely in this camp, you know, we need to release the grip a little bit sometimes. Oh, I love that. In fact, when you, when you said the idea of, you know, not being attached to the outcomes, which is something I know about and I've heard and I've thought about, but just hearing the words like triggered this, this cascade of happy chemicals in me. Mm, like, yay. oh, that's like, oh, yeah, like, I remember now. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's okay. Like, you know, when I'm operating purely from, from ego or from, you know, e- either in terms of like a positive, like I want to be awesome and have people, you know, shower me with, with praise and money, or I want to be awesome and, you know, live up to some, you know, moral ethical standard or, whether it's like ego-based fear, like I don't want to like get kicked out of my house because I can't pay the mortgage. All of those, um, I need to win, right? But when, I, when, I'm, when I'm letting go of outcomes and I'm saying all, all I'm focusing on here is my inputs in the moment as opposed to thinking about what's, what's going to come out the other side, you know, not only does it take a lot of stress off, but I end up, of course, doing much, much better work because I'm not distracted by, by those thoughts that are extremely unhelpful. Yeah. I mean, what, what an insight right there, like not focusing on the end result constantly helps you perform better. It also reduce, well, increases your confidence. And one of the, which of course is going to help you perform better as well. Uh, one of the people that I credit to, you know, the credit, I just give so much credit to this man, Dan Sullivan, for his work in creating an organization called Strategic Coach. It's been a huge game changer for me over the past year and a half. Uh, And at Strategic Coach, which is a quarterly workshop where Dan has amazing coaches that teach his framework for exponentially scaling your personal and professional life, um, there's this one concept that he has called the gap. And the gap, he describes as if you can plot out three points. One is where you are now. One that is a little bit behind that is where you've been. And then the other third point is a little bit in front of where you are now, which is where you want to be. So you have these three different points, right? And what he says entrepreneurs do, and I, I would just, you know, extend this out to all people who are striving to expand, achieve, um, you know, grow in one way, shape or form. He says, what we do is we compare where we are now to where we want to be, whether that's a number, a goal, um, whatever that looks like. We compare where we are now to where we want to be. And because we're not there yet, we lose confidence and we are discouraged because we're not there yet. Now, what he says is that, and I love this, Every time you do get there, and often we, we do, there's a new future point in front of us. And so we don't just celebrate the fact that we got there because in the process, we created a new future point that we need to achieve. And so this gap is always there. And whenever we're, quote unquote, living in the gap, it reduces our confidence and therefore reduces our ability to achieve. So what Dan Sullivan says is instead of looking forward and saying, I'm not there yet and comparing yourself against your future goal, compare where you are now to where you've been in the past and consistently look back at, they could be some of the smallest achievements, but they're past achievements and say, Oh, you know, today I'm, I'm lifting this much more weights or I'm running this much faster. or I am doing this much more in revenue than I was six months ago. And living in that space is how he says that it's the easiest way to increase confidence. And I just love that because for anybody trying to make anything happen, if we're living in that gap, it never feels good. Mm. And it's, it's actually extremely counterintuitive, right? Because like gap analysis is how any you know, strategist would tell you to map your future. And, and yet the, th- the thing about the future is that it doesn't teach you anything about the future. Whereas if you look at the past and you can see your successes and you can evaluate them and you can say, okay, here's, here's the pattern that I used, right? I, I, you know, when you talk about like busyness, like I, I, I can tell you 
the three hours of my life that have produced the most value. And they were all sort of, you know, relaxed, expansive with like not even never in my office, like somebody else's house sitting on the couch on an Amtrak train. Like when I produced an outline for something that eventually became a book or a business or a project. Um, so it's, it's only, you know, but, but I, I don't even have that in my head when I'm just looking forward, right? I'm looking forward to, okay, I've got to do this, 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 and this. What's the quickest, most efficient way to get it done? And the answer is almost never, you know, sit on the couch and have a cup of tea. But in <laughs> fact, that has been, that's what, I've, that's what I can learn from my history. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I love that you brought that up is like those moments where your brain is not in a a striving or trying to make something happen state is generally where the biggest insight come insights come. And that is also a big point in this book, deep work. Um, you know, and you're right. I just want to double down on your point that it doesn't mean don't set goals. It doesn't mean don't map out where you want to go. It just means map them out, set them, put them in your your scheduler, get them done, and then don't beat yourself up for not being there yet. <laughs> and in the meantime, actually, you, you brought this up too. I think it's very cool that this is what you said about looking for the patterns that cause success. Um, one of the Dan's tools is to look back, say, what did I achieve? Why was it important? And what's one step forward I can take to continue this achievement? So identifying those um, baby patterns and Mm. then maximizing them and doing them some more instead of always looking for the things that not working and trying to make that better, which is, I think, a very human, uh, just a human thing that we tend to do is say, oh, this thing's broken. Let me fix it. Instead of this thing is just rocking it. Let me do it more. (laughs) Right. And, anyway, you know, I love this topic. <laughs> I can tell. I do, too. What, what, one of the things I believe I learned this from Dan Sullivan um, is, is the idea of flipping, like, de- deserving on its head. I think, this, I think this is him where he says, like, all, like, we think we need to work all week in order to earn our time off. And says it's actually the other way around for what, you know, for what he would what uh, Cal Newport would call, you know, a knowledge worker, a deep worker. We need our downtime in order to earn the right to produce. Yeah. Your brain needs it. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that, Dan says to schedule those free days first. You're right. Yeah. That, uh, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, coached a lot of people in the business world for whom, when they first hear this concept, they, they're just terrified. It's just like, I'll feel guilty. I feel guilty when I take 20 minutes off to, to say, you know, just have a leisurely lunch even. I know. And it's, it's really sad. I, um, I was in a coach workshop, uh, a strategic coach workshop a couple of quarters ago. And I remember this is probably in our first year because people weren't really on the take a day off train yet. <laughs> and uh-huh. my coach said, who here has gotten is really good at rejuvenation and relaxing. And I'm the only person in the room that raises my hand. Cause I take a bath every day. Like I am like a self care maniac and, uh-huh. and I like won't check email on the weekend sometimes at all. And everyone just looked at me with this terror in their eyes. <laughs> I was like, what it's, it's necessary. <laughs> But you're right. I think once people um, get over the fear and just try it out, um, they realize that the the productivity actually goes up usually and they have a better time doing it. So that's pretty yeah. win-win. Yeah, it's like we have this faulty metaphor of like uh, like the battery. And I'm guilty of this too. I talk about it all the time. Like I tell people, you know, when, you, when your iPhone is down to 2%, you can't negotiate with it and say, but this is a really important call, right? You have to plug it in. <laughs> But the problem with that metaphor is that an iPhone at 2% works as well, pretty much, as an iPhone at 98%, whereas we don't, right? If we're, if we're Ooh, not constantly yeah. topping off, our, our performance degrades. I love that. So true. Um, so I have three things I wanted to talk to you about. and we haven't, we, we, I guess we we're kind of into a, the, the third one a little bit. But I, had a, I wanted to talk to you about um, Meet Mindful and dating. And it's occurring to me that it's, maybe it's the, sort of the same conversation, 
around you know means and end and um, well first what, tell, tell us about meet mindful and how it started and why this became the thing you wanted to work on yeah so I it goes back to when I was in New York and I went through a six-month integrative nutrition um, health coaching program called Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And it was when this program was still live and in person. Now it's all only online. Um, and we would meet for almost every weekend for six months in a, I think it was in the Time Warner building in Columbus Circle in Manhattan. And there were 1,200 of us. And it's the first time I was ever surrounded by so many like-minded people. And it blew my socks off. I was like, I didn't even know this was possible. Like, I've just been stuck in my kind of, you know, college crew, drinking and like, you know, partying 20-something New York City life and just staying on the surface all the time. And it was it was really eating at me, eating up. What is it? It was eating me up inside. There you go. Um and that lifestyle was not working for me anymore. And I didn't know how to find something different until I come to this nutrition program. And I'm surrounded by so many people who were just so passionate about their own personal practices and evolution and then bringing that into the world and making a difference in the planet. And that was just a huge source of inspiration for me. So when I ended up leaving New York and traveling for a year, I would tra I traveled in Asia um, for many, many months and ended up, uh, my style was to kind of hang out in a town or a city for, you know, one to three months at a time and really connect into the community. And I would, uh, generally find my way into a community of expats from all over the world who were somehow involved in this stuff. And it didn't really matter like the specific practices or, or, um, you know, teachings that everybody followed, because everybody has their own expression of this. But what did matter was living a life of purpose. And I think like mindfully living and communicating with, um, with other people and just their presence was the thread that kind of held everybody together that I encountered in these different, uh, kulas or, you know, groups of, of, um, of people. And, it again was mind blowing for me. And so I studied a lot of partner yoga and I also um, studied Thai massage in this year. And when I came to Denver, I decided that it would be fun to start an events company called Yoga Dates. And we did yoga events for singles because I thought when I moved here and I knew one person, it was very strange when I went to a yoga class and it was completely packed with people, but no one was talking. And I thought that was really weird. And I was like, but we all like, I just spent a year hanging out with people and this was my crew. This was like my family. Um, how come it's so closed off here? And I was single at the time. And I thought, you know, I just randomly one night had this idea to start this events company. And so I did it very, um, you know, very simply, I started a meetup group and then I put a WordPress site up on online and sold tickets to these yoga dates events. And we would do, you know, like yoga speed dating, vinyasa and vino. I was the only one doing this kind of stuff at the time. Now you kind of see this around in the yoga circuit a lot these days. Um, but it was very new, you know, six years ago. And, um, it just blew up. It took off. Uh, it was so much fun. And so I would have people show up to my events and it was the feedback through that I heard through running these events that caused me to start Meet Mindful. So some of the top things was, you know, people would just say, thank you for doing this. It's impossible to find these, this type of person, like-minded people like this, uh, on the dating sites and apps out there. And I just really thank you for doing this. Um, you know, can you do this more often? And I kept getting that feedback about how difficult it was in the dating space um, to connect with like-minded folks. And then people wanted to be able to self-organize. They wanted to be able to meet people from the events online. They wanted to basically take me out of the equation. So I didn't have to always do events all the time. Um, and so that was the second piece. And the third piece was I had people who actually there's four pieces. So this is a third. Um, I had people who would call and say, you know, I don't do yoga, but, um, I'm a Buddhist. Can I come? 
or I'm really into Tai Chi. Can I come? Or, you know, I don't do yoga, but I'm like super into spirituality and consciousness work. And this really feels like my people. Can I come? I got a lot of that. And it was, it's very obvious now, (laughs) but at the time I, I was kind of shocked that people would go to a singles event and having never done yoga before and do that for the first time. It's very vulnerable. It's awesome that so many people wanted to do that. And so it got me looking at the market and realizing there were such a large group of people in the U.S. and beyond who, um, you know, hold these values and are are dedicated to wellness, spirituality, consciousness, personal growth and development. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of, of people in this community. Mm. And no one was serving them in the dating space. And if dating is all about should be, (laughs) well, it works best when it's authentic, meaningful, intentional connections and practicing mindfulness and presence and, uh, you know, conscious communication through the process dramatically changes the a, how you enjoy the process of in and of itself and b your results. And so I thought, well, okay, if I could bring these people together and, and, um, and do it in a way that, you know, works with the ethos of this community, then I think we might have something here. And my experience was in technology anyway, um, given the startup in New York. So uh, it was just a natural next step to start Meet Mindful. And then the last thing that happened in my events is that people would make, they would go out in groups of, you know, eight to 10 people for happy hours and dinners. You know, people were making best friends. People were exchanging business cards. There was a lot of non-dating activity going on. And so, um, that is something that we're exploring more and more for the Meet Mindful community because like-minded connections and building your community is so critical regardless of if you have a partner or not. Um, and so this is the, you know, this is what got me to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to this. And then uh, as a side note, and this is something that I'm really, you know, fascinated by, and we'll be doing a lot more of this in 2018, you know, this is a group of people who are dedicated to personal growth and development, however that looks like to them, like I mentioned earlier. And I think it's very interesting that there's not a lot of content out there and resources, and it's certainly not front and center around dating and being in relationships mindfully. And I think that Meet Mindful has an opportunity to bring that work to our community in a way that will actually help them rewrite some of the patterns that they have and change their experiences so we're not doing the same thing over and over, which is what we typically do. (laughs) Well, so hopefully uh, there, we can help have more success. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. Um, the first thing that struck me was sort of my own yoga experience and uh, how antithetical that would have been to dating. Right? I didn't start yoga until after I was married, so it's not really uh, applicable. But when I think of, of yoga, I think of, of something that, you know, to some people, is sort of highly competitive. Um in terms of like, you know, lycra and like, you know, it's, you don't wear baggy clothes. So like everybody's, you know, sort of out there in a very either vulnerable way or very sort of, you know, strutty way if you, you know, if you have the the goods and, you know, and then there's the issue of like doing all these poses that can bring up like, you know, farts, um, like, (laughs) Like yoga feels like the sort of place where both, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it could be like a, a meat market and could also be like the worst place in the world to try to, um, you know, present yourself if you're, if you're not like, you know, physically flawless. Talk about polarity, right? Yeah. Um, like yeah. What, what, did, I, what, did, I, what did you want to bring? Like, was there something you wanted to bring to yoga that was going to kind of like, you know, cool everyone's jets and, and make it like less intense or like what, what happened, what, what was the difference in, in the yoga classes that were meet mindfully versus the yoga or, or, or the uh, yoga dates versus just, you know, everybody show up and bring your own version of why you're doing yoga with you. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I, 
to clarify, the classes that we held were, it was much more of an event format. Um, so it would be a three hour event and the first 30 minutes or so people would show up and, and get to, you know, just chat and get to know each other, step on each other's mats. Um, we had food and like, so cheese and crackers and fruit lined up. We often would have wine, um, in the studio as well. And we would play music and the postures were often we would do a partner yoga speed dating format. And so partner yoga postures, this wasn't really acro yoga. This was more, much more accessible partner yoga. And the postures were relative, they were all, um, accessible. And I made sure of that because we had all different levels in the room. And so it was, if you can imagine sort of taking the typical experience that you just described in all the ways that you described it, which in many places is totally accurate, kind of flipped that entire model on its head and said, well, at yoga dates events, we're going to talk, we're going to meet each other, we're going to eat and drink, we're going to listen to music, we're going to step on each other's mats, and we're going to do stuff for the joy of it and for the connection of it, not for the physical, um, you know, the physical benefits. And we're not going to, we never went like super hardcore or deep in the postures themselves, because it was about connection between people. Mm hmm. And so what, how did people respond to that? Um, com, com, like, did, did it take some uh, recalibration? They loved it. It was fun. It was lighthearted. You know, it was, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I mean, people just enjoy themselves. Like when people are uh, in a positive environment, doing something new, learning something new, and they're having fun doing it, it creates positive, new positive synapses in the brain and create, makes a huge hit of dopamine as well. And so people are at their best. They're glowing. They're happy. They're positive. I mean, if you want to talk about being attractive and putting your best foot forward, um, it didn't matter that people were in you know yoga clothes. It didn't matter that they might be sweating a little bit. It the fact that they were in an environment where they were just showing up like just fully and authentically them was, it made a huge difference, I think, in people being able to connect with one another and really finding the beauty in everybody. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about like the best yoga classes I've ever had have always started with some sort of a reminder of like, you're doing this for the experience of it and not for the outcome you're trying to get. So I think we're seeing a thread going, running through this whole conversation. Ooh, yeah, right, that, so true. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I, I read your, uh, your letter on Meet Mindful, right, about what if dating could be a way to discover ourselves rather than, you know, looking for, like, Dan Sullivan's third point in your social life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I really believe that our romantic relationships, our primary relationships are the things that hold the mirror up closest to, for us, uh, to us and for us. And we can learn so much if we're in a relationship with somebody who's in it for the, the growth together. Um, and you know, that's a different approach than people typically take. And yet when you say mirror, um, I imagine that people can can hear that and and feel like there's a, a sort of a, a blaming the victim feeling like, you know, like, you know, you want to know who you are, like, look at your relationships. And someone says, well, I just had like 10 years of terrible relationships. I've kept like, is that is that me? Like, is that is that a a reasonable thing for people to uh, to use as a self-assessment? You know, I wouldn't say it's, you know, in your point, is that me? It's not me as a whole human being, but it's, there is a part of me or, you know, multiple parts of me that have sought out destructive relationships or people who were, you know, not securely attached or what have you, because there were parts that needed to be you know, addressed or, um, or 
you know, dealt with, right? And I don't look at that and say I'm a complete and utter failure and all of me is broken. Uh, I look at that and from what I've learned, I'm able to say, you know, that that younger girl in me that didn't get the um, emotional connection that she needed and wanted and craved on a daily basis uh, is now was seeking that out in partners because it's what felt familiar. And so understanding the inner workings of that dynamic really helped me create a different pattern because now I could see it and working through, I mean, this is deep work and it's not, it's not, um, this is another kind of deep work, not, not the focused, uh, productivity type. And it's, it takes time, but I think, you know, having, that awareness and knowing that it's not our, all of us that is wrong or, or, you know, at fault, um, for the choices that we've made in the past and just using it as data and step by step, um, hopefully unburdening the parts of ourselves that, you know, have wanted help or had that have wanted a change. Um, and then that empowers us to make new decisions because we've broken down patterns or built up new, more positive ones. Mm. And I guess when we, when we look back at these relationships, at least for me, I can, I can pretty well identify at this point, all the ways in which I was disingenuous where, where I came to the relationship with an, an unspoken demand that, or, you know, a, a hook or a con, right? Some sort of, mm. some sort of thing that I needed out of the relationship um, that I was never going to admit to the other person and, and, and not even to myself. Um, I guess that's, you know, we can, we can see those um, as, as like, the, you know, when I was a kid, there was this, um, like red tablets you could chew and it would show you where there was plaque on your teeth. Right? So you could brush. <laughs> right. To see the, all these, That's... all these failed relationships as, uh, as pointers towards the, the inner, the inner work that needs to be done. A hundred percent. And I know this, this, what I'm about to say will likely sound cliche because it's said a lot. Um, but I, I think it's said a lot because there is a huge truth in it. And that's the fact that the things that we generally complain about in others, um, especially those that we're in primary relationships with, you know, there is a piece of that that we, we have in ourselves that we're really unhappy with, like to our core, unhappy with. And so we'll find others that also have that thing and seek them out and then make them wrong for it and complain that this was like the big problem with the relationship. But I mean, what I've learned over the years is like, oh, there's a piece of that in me. Okay, so let me address that. Because if I can address that, then I won't keep seeking it out in other people unconsciously. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, I heard that and read it and it was like a platitude. And then one day I, I literally spent 40 minutes ranting about how negative my mother was and how she couldn't see good in other people. And after 40 <laughs> minutes, I took a breath and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I mean, it is kind of funny when you when you like can just look at it and be like, Oh, and not judge at all. It, it, it is kind of hilarious. Um, but <laughs> I love that you, you saw that and just got to step back. And, you know, I mean, it's so easy, I think for us to talk about this out loud and it's really difficult to do it in practice. So I certainly don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, just realize the thing and everything will get better. Like it, it, you know, it takes more work than that. Um, one of my, uh, one of my dear friends and mentors, her name is Annie Lala. And um, Annie is, she's been coaching me for a few years. Her husband is one of our uh, main investors. And um, Annie, I remember calling her, like, this is in my last long-term relationship with somebody. It ended, uh, it was a really hard breakup and a really tough relationship. And there was a lot of fighting and a lot of just like heartbreak. And I remember calling her and crying. And I was like, Oh my God, Annie, it's just so much work. Why is it so much work? Like, does it have to be this hard? 
And she said something that I'll never forget. And so I'm just going to share it here because it's along the lines of doing work with, with somebody in, in relationship. She said, Amy, there's always going to be work to do with whoever you're with. Um, it's up to you to decide who you want to do it with. Mm. And I just had this like, like, oh my God, huge moment of, of, um, just understanding. Yeah. Like it's never going to be perfect. So you might want to make sure that you enjoy working through things with the person that you choose. Right. And, and to come back to like the, you know, the whole startup, like, you, you know, there's, you're going to be out working on it for, for years and years and years, you know, unless it, you know, blows up or runs out of funding or, you know, you get kicked out. Uh, like you, you might as well enjoy the people you're working with and the direction you're trying to go in. I mean, we spend more time with the people in the office than we do right now with the family and friends, right? <laughs> so it's our other family. Um, and you're right. Like, if it's not enjoyable, then what's what's the point? I mean, of course, that that doesn't mean that there's not hard times and, and difficult days or tough conversations. That's just life. Um, and that's certainly business. But if, if it sucks every day to get up and do whatever you're choosing to do, like at a certain point, you got to reassess. Right. There's a lot more I'm going to talk about around, you know, dating. And I want to actually, since you're an IIN grad, I want to talk to you about like the relationship between dating and eating. Cause I, you know, a lot of my clients, the way they talk about certain foods, it's like they have to break up with them and they just keep, you know, keep going back <laughs> to these, you know, <laughs> you know, these bad food relationships. But I know we only have about eight minutes left and as I was saying to you before we started recording, I have never had a conversation on this podcast about sex. And since you, you, you talk and write about it, I wanted to, you know, to, to begin that conversation. And um, so where, you know, I don't even know the question to ask, except how, how does, you know, it's easy to talk about sort of dating and relationships and negotiating things, but how do we bring sex and sexuality into the conversation. Maybe, maybe we can expand it into people who are, you know, no longer dating, who are, you know, with, with the partner that they've committed to. Oh yeah. Um, there's so much to say about sex. Um, I think the first thing is that I am not a, uh, and I was sharing this with you earlier. I'm not a, a trained or officially, uh, you know, official anything when it comes to sex. Uh, so this is all just through my own research and, and study. Um, but happy to, to go there. I'm curious, like where we want to go with this given our time frame. Um, well, so I guess the, the, the main thing is like, this, for me, this will be an introduction to the topic uh, for, uh, you know, as, as part of the context of this podcast, maybe just talk about like what, you know, sexuality and health. Because, you know, I just I just know a lot of people for whom sex isn't a priority. Like they'll, you know, in the work I do, we'll try to eat right. We'll try to exercise. We'll try to be mindful. We'll try to get enough sleep. We'll try to avoid toxins. But like, you know, a healthy sex life, I think, should be up there in the top three in terms of, uh, you know, our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health. But we almost never talk about it. So and so I'm kind of calling yeah. myself out. So I'm, I'm asking you, like, how do we start having the conversation? Um, well, I, I think that what you brought up is is brings up a, a really interesting uh, conundrum that we find ourselves in. Like, it actually goes back. This is cool. It goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning about being type A about all of the personal growth and development and health and wellness and not enough just being. And so what all the things that you mentioned that your clients do and that we all do as people, we eat better, we like meditate in the morning, we, you know, journal and all that stuff. Like those are all action oriented things, right? Um, that require some level of thinking and it requires with the exception of meditation um, because in meditation the, the point is to not play with and succumb to your thoughts and be with your body but most of these things that we're talking about from personal growth and wellness standpoint is doing and thought related and sex is when 
done enjoyably <laughs> is the opposite. It is pure embody experience. It is purely embodying love and connection and following your desires and feeling into what's happening in your body. And it is not except in the moments that we take ourselves out of our body and into our head, something that requires thinking and something that requires doing anything like specific and has like any sort of goal attached to it. And the moment it becomes that it becomes less enjoyable. And so I think, you know, if one of the reasons that it can become a downward spiral is not having a lot of sex and not, you know, staying committed to intimacy and connection, um, which I believe is just as important, if not more important than sex, but they all come together, right? Um, if we stop doing that and stop prioritizing that, it creates a downward spiral of la there is less connection between two people. There is less um, intimacy. There's less trust. There's less vulnerability. And it just begets even more of that feeling. And so I think just prioritizing and knowing like, you know, and doing whatever you need to do to practice getting out of the head, into the body, into the experience, into the desires, um, is what will really jumpstart people's sex lives again. Now the thing is there's that again is easy to say and hard to just do. Um, Something that I think for women is what can be a huge eye opener is a book that um, I've recommended to countless people called Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. And it's by an author named Emily Nagoski. And this author is a sex researcher. And what she proposes in this book is that everything that we know about sex and sexuality is based on data and research that try to normalize what is quote unquote normal and what is not normal. And so we've been taught that there's a normal way of having sex and, and you know, there is a normal sexuality. And if you veer away from that, you are somehow broken, wrong, not, um, not normal, like will be judged. And what she says in her book is that there is no normal and there is, there are in infinite ways that people enjoy themselves. And there are different, um, combinations of what she calls breaks and accelerators where, um, some people have stronger breaks where they get distracted easier or, you know, their body pumps the break if, um, they've had a stressful day at work or whatever, and other people's breaks aren't as active. And then on the flip side, accelerators, um, it, some people can get turned on much easier than others and faster. And so in her book, she talks about learning, um, deciphering what your unique combination of breaks and accelerators is. Um, there's another, I think there's a third piece of that and I can't remember what it is right now, but, um, and basically teaches, empowers the reader to understand her body more, empowers the, um, the partners that are reading this book to understand uh, his or her partner's body more, female body, because she's much more focused on women in this book, and basically take charge of your sex life again in a way that is stripped of what's normal and what you should be doing and what you should expect of your body. Um, and so I think that everyone should read this book because it's a game changer. And then you can start to learn how to work with um, the different dynamics that come in, into play for you in, and your partner or partners in your sexual, you know, in your sexual encounters. Um, yeah, that's one of the big things that's really alive for me right now is just recognizing that those two things, recognizing that getting out of the body or excuse me, into the body, out of the head, so important and not be goal oriented. And the second piece is understanding, you know, that there's varying degrees of, of, um, you know, normal and how people are built. And we really need to learn how to discover that and understand it for ourselves, not be told by someone else, by researchers, no less, um, what we should and shouldn't feel. I, I love all that. And you know, one, one of the things I love about it is that if there's no normal, then sex is not like a, a Sudoku or a crossword where you just you're trying to get the right answer. 
right? So yeah. there, there is no right answer. Um, and you would bring to, you know, to every new relationship, um, you know, a, a, a sense of mystery and, and the kind of discovery you were talking about in terms of dating, but also every new relationship with the same person. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's so much that comes up for me in hearing you say that. Um, and that discovery and that just, this is, this is about getting to know our bodies and one another and what we love and what, you know, what we want to explore more of and constantly get into that state of curiosity and pleasure. Um, that's, that's so much more magical than, you know, having to have rigid structure and goals around the whole thing. Um, another wonderful resource is, um, I imagine you may have heard of or read some of her work, um, Esther Perel. She has a book called Mating in Captivity that's all about, um, since I think it's been a while since I read it, but the way I would describe it from my memory is, hey, humans weren't always in these long monogamous relationships and lived till we were 100. And so how do we maintain healthy sex lives and attraction mm -hmm. um, to our partners over the decades that we didn't used to have? And by the way, now we're choosing relationships for love and security and friendship and partnership, which is so much more expectation than we ever had in partners, um, you know, just two generations ago. So, um, in mating in captivity, she gives really great tips for how couples can, uh, recreate that magnetic pull or that polarity that is so essential in healthy sex lives, um, and kind of get out of the rut that often people find themselves in. So I think she's another huge, amazing resource that people can go to and, learn way more than you can learn from me <laughs> just talking about it right now. Well, well I'm, I'm going to reach out to, uh, to both of those authors to, uh, to continue the conversation. I would love to continue this conversation with you too. And I know we've, uh, we've scheduled a hard stop for right about now. So I think we're going to, we're going to have to end this with an ellipsis because there's so, so much more I'd like to explore <laughs> if you'd be willing to, to come back on for another round. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, all this is such a rich, um, Rich, the topics are amazing, and I love them. So I'm happy to to talk more. So let's let's end by letting people know where they can find you, where they can sign up for Meet Mindful if they so desire, and you know who it's for and who who it's not for. Yeah. So uh, Meet Mindful is a meeting ground for people to find their most inspired connections, and so for people who are looking for uh, whether it's a a partner or they just casually want to start dating again and dipping their toes in, or they want to connect with like-minded people in community and then see where that may take them. Or if they're ready to find the one, um, we hold space for you to come and be in a safe space, uh, to meet those like-minded people with shared values. Uh, you can find us on the web at meetmindful.com. You can find us in the app store, uh, and in the Google play store. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're really excited about what's coming down the pipe this year. And so uh, if you sign up and hang out for a while, uh, hopefully we can, we can provide some value for you and maybe make a magical connection or two. Awesome. And if you, if you go to the, the Meet Mindful website, it's, there's also some wonderful articles. In there, oh, yes. Right. Yeah, we have thousands of awesome articles on mindfulness and dating and relationships and uh, so many wonderful partners who have written that stuff. So thanks for bringing that up. Yep. And, and if you, you know, if anyone's listening and wants to know what you did with your uh, your ex's Cartier promise ring, they can find that on the site as well. Let's say it was a very intense <laughs> uh, piece. Yeah, that was a big one. Gosh, what's amazing is those are that's from like four years ago. And so I just, I would love to read that again. <laughs> I'm going to go do that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. It's uh, I'm sure you'll see lots of, lots of new insights. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for taking the time and for, for just the your generosity and openness of, of spirit. It feels, it feels like this was like a, uh, a conversational yoga class. We just like, <laughs> Uh, well, let's get ready for Shavasana. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we, we were going to talk about like the fact that I'm now part of a startup and I'm finding self-care to be extremely challenging. So uh, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to go just uh, 
lay down for a few minutes and let this all wash over me. And Amy Bagland, thank you so much for everything you do and for taking the time today. Thank you for having me, Howard. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you got something useful out of that, whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you're aiming for a mindful and spiritual life, whether you're looking for love in all the right or wrong places. If you'd like to follow any of the links that we talked about, you can do so on the show notes for today's episode, which is plantyourself.com slash 278. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the mission, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. I got a couple of new reviews for you to listen to this week. Ready? So Runs on Plants RD says that the podcast is informative and inspirational. Plant Yourself is hands down my favorite podcast, and I eagerly await the release of each weekly episode. Howard is a skilled interviewer who elicits wonderful conversations with each guest. I love the wide variety of guests and topics discussed on the podcast, and I find that with each podcast, I learn new evidence and resources to further enhance my knowledge and understanding of plant-based living. The podcast has provided me with an abundance of practical tips to put to use in my own life and to share with others to become healthier and happier. As a plant-based dietitian, this podcast is one of my go-to resources for patients, as there is at least one episode that resonates with everyone. Thank you, Howard, for the great work you do to motivate and inspire people to live more compassionate and fulfilling lives. Wow, Runs on Plants RD. Thank you so much for that. It's so cool to think that there are people like you who are using podcast episodes to help your clients and your patients. That just that fills me with 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 great joy. And it makes me aware of the responsibility that I have to to present good information in an engaging and entertaining format. So thank you for that reminder. Slish Kuh from Germany says, love it. A fantastic, valuable podcast. Three exclamation points. Thank you so much. I hope I pronounced it's L-S-L-I-J-K-U. Um, however you would pronounce or abbreviate that. And uh, Isabel, I-I-I-S-A-B-E-L-L, says it's comprehensive and holistic. Love this podcast. This is not simply a plant-based podcast about nutrition, but about health in general and the intersections many people gloss over. Not to mention it's hosted by the co-writer of Whole with Dr. Colin Campbell. I would love to see more diverse topics in the future, though, maybe about mental and emotional health and some more success stories, but love this podcast. Well, I'm glad we uh, had this conversation because, as I said, today's podcast uh, that includes so much about sexuality is a, a diverse departure and I'd love to hear more about what folks would want to listen to. One way to do that is to go to any um, episode or any recent episode in the last five or six months. And there is something called the speak pipe where you can just get the thing to uh, commandeer your microphone and you can talk right to me. And of course, you can always comment on any of the podcasts and you can also contact me directly via the short whale link at the top right of plantyourself.com. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 277 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. In garden news, we've started harvesting and eating the underground. We just did a instant pot full of teeny little potatoes. I would say we've got 25, 30 pounds of potatoes out of the ground um, that look delicious. Not as many as we'd hoped to get, but we, we shared with, with other critters. Um, we also got a lot of garlic and a fair amount of onions. I'd say maybe 10 or 20 pounds. So, you know, not sustainable, but moving in the right direction. And of course, we still got gallons of blueberries every single day. I will never buy a bag of blueberries again and complain about the price when you realize how time and labor intensive it is. To, to go out and harvest blueberries. In running news, a competition is on hold except for the Ultimate Frisbee Nationals coming up July 20th to 22nd in Aurora, Illinois. Anyone from Chicagoland who wants to uh, say hello, you know, drop me a line via, via Short Whale on the website, and I'll be playing all day Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And by all day, I mean I'll be running until I can't run anymore. And then I will be laying down, hopefully in some shade. So if you want to come by and bring a banana, bring some water, you can revive me and we can have a conversation. I'd love to meet you if you are 
in the Chicago area. All right, time for the gratitude section. Will Ridenour, thank you again from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to use this beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace, as the theme music for this show. Check out willridenour.com for more of this gorgeous chorus music from West Africa. And of course, thank you to you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Isaac, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolan, Oalea, Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Georgina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Ronda Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Bedden, Gila, Sarah David, Donnie Blair, Cyber, Dorona Vizo, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Hughes. Val Lindemann rhymes with cinnamon. Nick Harbour, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, and Plant Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rootless, Jillian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Sharon Hirschman, Kate Rosland, Ayat, Julie Lang, Home, Hedda Gardiza, Susan Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Avila L, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Cherry Orlikoski, a plant powered for health, Karen Smith, Scott Mirani, Karen and Joe Crab, Titania Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley. Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Diva, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Dr. Darby Kelly, and Laurie Fanny for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenour.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gil Lassert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carl- Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Izatuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Mirani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sawyer Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.